Welcome to Dear 20-something. I'm Erica, the host of this podcast, and I'm so excited to have you here. A bit about me, I'm a 20-something social entrepreneur and investor who is navigating the ups and downs of being in my 20s. The Dear 20-something podcast started because we wanted to create a space for ambitious and curious 20-somethings to connect with the successful changemakers they most look up to. While the 20s can be a time full of questions and doubts, we're here to humanize the whole thing. You'll hear from successful trailblazers who will share the highs and lows of their 20s, and you'll also get words of wisdom from some experts who will speak on a certain topic relevant for 20-somethings. And then sometimes it'll just be me on the mic hosting an episode where I share a recent reflection or story from my own life as I too am navigating this wild decade. We're so happy to have you here. Let's get started. All right. So today on the show, I am so excited to be chatting with Gina Bianchini for our community design episode. Gina is the founder and CEO of Mighty Networks. Her mission at Mighty Networks is to usher in a new era of digital businesses built on network effects. Mighty Networks serves small and medium businesses that offer digital memberships, online courses, community and subscriptions, all offered in one place under their brand, instantly available on every platform. Before Mighty Networks, Gina and Netscape co-founder Mark Andreessen launched Ning, a pioneering global platform for creating niche social networks. Under her leadership, Ning grew to over 100 million people in 300,000 active social networks across subcultures, professional networks, entertainment, politics, and education. It was sold for $150 million in 2010. In addition to Mighty Networks, Gina serves as a board director of Tegna, a $2.7 billion broadcast and digital media company, and served as a board director of Scripps Networks, a $14.6 billion public company, which owned HGTV, the Food Network, and the Travel Channel that was purchased by Discovery Communications in 2018. Those are some great channels there. So fun. Gina and Mighty Networks have been featured in Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, Wired, Vanity Fair, Bloomberg, and the New York Times. She's appeared on Charlie Rose, CNBC, and CNN. She grew up in Cupertino, California, graduated with honors from Stanford, started her career in the nascent high-tech group at Goldman, and received her MBA from Stanford. I can't wait to chat with her and share her story with you now on Dear 20-something. Please welcome Gina. Hey, Gina. Hello. Quite a bio. You know, you've just done a few things that are impressive. Not too many, though. Don't worry. You know, none of those things are the things that I wake up in the morning thinking about. Yeah. Or like, check, check, check. So it's it's always a little cringy to have you read my bio while I'm sitting I here. I love it. <laughs> but you have to relish in it because I think people like you often, like you said, it's not something you're thinking about. It's like where you come from and how far you've come. And so it's good to force you. I'm forcing you to hear it. True. You said there's other things you think about when you wake up in the morning. What are those things? Is it family? Is it health? I think it tends to be my mission and what we're doing at Mighty and how we are increasingly finding ways for people to be able to create brands that build themselves. So I wake up in the morning and I am fired up to get to the day. I'm also a morning person. And I found that I am getting up sort of early and earlier and earlier because I'm really stoked about what I'm going to go do that day. So for me, the business, my life, the way I've organized things are feeling just like I'm operating on all cylinders. So it's just, it's a fun moment. It's a really fun moment. 
I love it. I love the way that you frame Mighty's mission, building brands that, what is it? What did you say? Like run themselves? Build themselves. Yeah. Build themselves. Yeah. I also think of it as like, I have a lot of personal interest and investing interest in sort of this like loneliness epidemic and this idea that we're craving community more than ever before. And that when I think of if I were to not be the person starting this thing, I were to say what the mission was, I would say Mighty also really helps people connect in a very otherwise isolated world. And I think finding those moments of community are everything. And so I think that's something else that I think of when I think of Mighty. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. One of the things that's really interesting, even as you were talking, we've never craved community more than right now. Not true. Human beings need community. And we have needed community from the dawn of time. That's how we have made it to this moment. And so I think if anything, it's that we have looked for community in places and in ways that are actually not true community. And that has then led to loneliness, depression, anxiety. I think about it as really so much of what is accepted as the status quo and the way things are related to social media, especially, it's the high fructose corn syrup of connection. And when we think about what we put in our bodies and what it means to take care of ourselves, social is all of the pieces that they feel right in the moment. They feel good in the moment, but they're the high fructose corn syrup version of what community is and what it means and what we're looking for. And because we've had now over a decade where social is kind of the dominant form for so many people, especially digital natives of like what community is, we've actually gotten out of practice. A global pandemic did not help either. We've gotten (laughs) out of practice of what it means to host and what it means to be in community with people. We really see the opportunity at Mighty to make those things radically easier. And that is core to our mission of, again, this promise of brands that build themselves, communities that build themselves and run themselves, courses that run themselves, memberships that provide value because it is as much, if not more, about the members who are connecting with each other than the content that you're producing. Absolutely. I love how you're framing that. And I love the food angle. Like it's like the donut, it's the cake, it's not the salad. Salads can be very, very delicious too. Salad, you know what? That's right. More salads. What is like the recipe in your mind for like more of the communities we need? So like obviously a lot of the social networks that we've all experienced have unfortunately made us feel even more isolated than before. Obviously you're building something at Mighty Now that I'm sure you would say is what we need more of. But like, what are those things that make a community more of a salad, not a donut? Like what are those pieces that you would encourage founders to think about? I think it's really important that the reason we are seeing growth at Mighty is because we're not saying, please do all these really boring things. And so much of sort of independent community platforms where it's like, oh, like this is a platform for creating a community. They don't put it on native mobile apps. They don't put it like their software on things that make it easy. And we've actually found that our growth has come from making it radically easy to create communities, to make those connections between members, whether that's members near you, members like you, members who care about the same topics. And so I think in terms of what is unique about 
communities, courses, memberships that are built on Mighty. It's really, I would say, our approach to how does this community create incredible experiences, magical experiences for you and your members, and that there is a big purpose associated with it. Big purpose, the motivation for your members to join and participate in your community. Communities are designed for people to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And when that is possible, all sorts of amazing things happen. We are able to navigate rapid change together with other people in real time. We are able to build new practices and new habits. So we're able to get faster to a life that we want and ultimately achieve results and transformation simply not possible unless you unify and bring people together in one place towards one goal. And that goal is ambitious and bigger than any individual. That is what we're doing here. Software has then got to be an ingredient into how does that happen? How do we make a big purpose radically easier to find and really really zero in on? How do we make it so that the member connections are as natural and easy and valuable to each other? That is actually really important for us to do. And then the big thing that we had to do first, kind of going in reverse order here, but the big thing we had to go do first is we had to go break down the walls between all of these things that are actually all different flavors of community, but we think about them differently. For example, community being different than something like content or being different from something like online courses or being different from something like online challenges. They're all flavors of bringing people together for results and transformation that comes from being a part of something bigger than yourself. And so, so much of our life over the last few years as we've evolved Mighty has been, how do we break down the barriers between these different false silos? And that has been the first phase. And now what we get to go do, which is really exciting, is how do we make the ways that members are surface to each other smarter? How do we make the ways that a community or courses or challenges essentially run themselves? And we have done a ton of work and are now automating this stuff and the results have been pretty incredible. That's super exciting. I think that's like you had said, that's where software really comes in, right? And is that special ingredient that helps scale this and make it smarter? I think your, your comment too about how when people come together and are part of something larger than themselves, they can do more than they can individually. I think that's really strong. So one thing that you've talked about a lot, and you obviously, I don't know if everyone that's listening knows this, but you wrote a book which is very exciting. I want to talk a little bit about the book topic and this, you know, trademark around community design. So you kind of walked us through a little bit like those levels of like what a community looks like and how you can design it to bring members together. Can you tell me a little bit more about like coining the terminology community design? What even is community design? And then maybe a final piece is just what would you advise other folks that are building community themselves? How should they design it in the right way? Is there a right way? Yeah. So it turns out there is an easy way. And so I will 
suggest that easy for maximum value is the right way, but right is pejorative in, in so much. So I have, over the course of my career, had a front row seat, have built not just one, but two community platforms to scale. So what I think in doing this literally from scratch twice is there are a set of universal themes that separate communities and really just member experiences, if you sort of think about it, that are going to work and create tremendous value and run themselves and those that will be DOA, dead on arrival. And what I saw is that the same essential elements have been true throughout the last decade and and beyond in terms of what makes a successful community, what's going to get in your way. And so about four years ago, I launched a community design framework just based on what I had seen in the data that I had seen at Ning and the data that we have front row seats to at Mighty. And the promise of community design is create a community so valuable that you can charge for it. And so well-designed, it essentially runs itself. That essentially we can start to cross off here, especially with the AI that we've been building in. I know that sounds so cliche. We call it Mighty Co-host. And we think about the evolution of community AI is really people magic because that's what it is. You know, as you know, software that is working and is new is indistinguishable from magic. And we really think about how we are connecting people to each other in really beautiful ways with software. So people magic is really what our ultimate goal is to create through what we offer with our platform. Community design is the framework for being able to create people magic. So a community so valuable, you can charge for it so well-designed that it runs itself. You do not need to charge for it, but it turns out charging for a membership or a community or an event has a really important and for some people unexpected benefit which is people pay attention to what they pay for. And when you think about the number of things that people pay for and you want to create attention, charging actually creates attention. That attention leads to people changing practices and habits, navigating rapid change, being able to have results and transformation in their lives, which then leads to them going out and talking to people about it and bringing in that next set of people into your community, again, when it's well-designed. So that's the genesis of community design. What is it? Community design has five pieces and five agreements. And the five pieces are pretty straightforward, but they are designed, again, you can set it up and it essentially runs itself. Number one, you need that big purpose, that motivation for community. A lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to create a community and we're going to learn, share, and grow together. And it's available for everybody on planet Earth because I don't want to be exclusive. I want to be inclusive, which is phenomenal. The challenge is that if somebody doesn't know that your community is for them, they'll not join 
And the tell for people is, oh, that's great, Erica. That's amazing. So maybe give me an example of like what you guys do or like, give me an example. If people are asking for that, it means you are not as clear in what your big purpose and your big purpose actually follows a formula. Again, what are people listening for? They're listening for just a really simple set of things. Who's it for? What are you going to do together? And what are the results? What do I get for doing it? So when somebody asks you, and this is true, I think as an entrepreneur for anything you do is like, okay, I bring together who you bring together to what are you going to do together so that we can, and then what is somebody going to get from that? That simple sentence, that simple formula is 80% of creating a successful community because who you are bringing together That's your ideal member. These are the people that need and want your community the most right now in all caps being right now is all all caps. It is in fact yelling at you. And then it's what are we going to do together? And what are those ideal members going to do together? I should be clearer there. And then so that we can, what are the results? What is that transformation I'm going to get by being a part of this community? Now think about how rare it is to hear that. In every part of life, not even just communities. I'm like, I want that in everything I pay money for. Yes. And in part because we've created this other weird way, this parallel universe that if you've been trained through social, it's like, oh, well, what's my content for? Who's my audience? Or my community is my audience. They're interchangeable. So the key thing to know and a good, again, a good rule or tell is Something is an audience when you have followers that are talking back at you, but they're not talking to each other. A community is one where you are the host and the goal is that your people are talking to each other. That requires a different design. It requires a different structure. It requires, again, a big purpose because everybody's coming to that to have a role in it, to contribute to it. And to want to talk to the other members because other, why would they? Yeah it's, yeah, it's not even about talking to other members though. Erica, it's about how are they getting the results that they're looking for? And that's what's so powerful about a big purpose. And, and we actually have even automated the ability to have this sentence, this formula, just based on putting in who do you bring together? And this changes everything because in the simplest format, you are able to tell somebody, is this community for them or not? What are we going to go do together? So it's logically makes sense. Well, if I do these things, then I will get this result. It is incredibly powerful. So the result that the activity isn't learn, share and grow together. It's hey, we're going to be able to define our careers together. We're going to be able to innovate our industry. We're going to be able to explore a very different approach to some aspect of health and wellness practice or other important interests is is kind of where we serve. So that's the big purpose. So we've gotten through one of... I love it. Okay. But this is the framework. This is the framework. This is the framework. This is very important. So... The big purpose is, again, 80% of it. So then there's four other pieces. Number two is the year of the life. So the most successful communities 
have progress. They have evolution. They have movement to them. So what does that look like? It looks like a simple question that we, again, call the year in the life. What are your members able to do a year from now that they're not able to do today? I think this is one of the most fun questions out there. And I'm sure, Erica, you can think about this for your podcast listeners. What are your podcast listeners able to do a year from now that they're not able to do today as a result of the work that you are putting into this podcast? Then if your members are able to get those results, able to do a set of things a year from now they're not able to do today, what does that mean for you? What are you able to do as a result of that, as the host of that community? What could that look like? It could look like you have much more freedom and flexibility. You're spending full time on your community, or you just simply have been able to get much more meaning and value from a side hustle or the places and ways in which you're spending your time. So that's the year in the life. That's number two. So it's essentially taking that big purpose and making it really concrete in a year. And I love a year because a year is long enough for any of us to have real change, but it's not so long that we can just be like, yeah, we'll put it off for a while. All right. So third, fourth, and fifth elements are the execution. So if you think about big purpose, year in the life, those are really strategies, right? So the execution is monthly themes. So why a monthly theme? Because after about a month, it's like you're kind of ready for something new. You want novelty. So you can set up monthly themes I like to unveil them before the next month, but you can do it in all sorts of different ways. And they tend to be topics that are meaty, that everybody can relate to and they have part of their experience can be shared. So monthly themes could be something like goals and goal setting. It could be something like energy. Like, how do you think about your energy? Like, how do you manage it? You can have a whole month of conversation and people can share their stories, their ideas and their experiences not advice, because it turns out advice shuts down conversations. Whereas stories, experiences, and ideas expand it. Well, my favorite, you know, example of this is think about when you're talking to your friends about your partner or, you know, romantic interest, and you're complaining about them. And your friend is like, you should totally break up with them. And then you don't. It's awkward. Versus Erica, you know, I've had those same experiences with my partner and this is how I felt. This is what I did. This is what worked. This is what didn't work. I share that as, you know, a set of things for you to be able to put together for what, what turns out to be right for you. Very different. Very different. Yeah. But I think people don't study this enough. Like they don't know that that's what shuts people down and that's what keeps people going. Well, now anybody listening to this podcast knows. Now they know. (laughs) So advice shuts the conversation down. Yeah. Okay, so that's monthly themes. So that introduces novelty. And then if you think about it, those monthly themes ladder up to that year in the life, which then ladders up to the big purpose. Monthly themes is about novelty. The next one, the fourth one, is about habits. It's about consistency. And we call that, I call that the weekly calendar. It's not about doing something every single day that's like heavy, heavy, heavy. It's about having two things a week 
that people can rely on because they happen at the same time on the same day every week. So I run a 83,000 person community and we do an event on Tuesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific. Why? Because we've built a habit around that. What community do you run? Is it with a bunch of Mighty Network hosts? It's, yeah, it's the Mighty, the Mighty community. Love it. I was like, wow, that's a lot you're taking on your plate. You run Mighty. So what's the other thing? So it'd be a little weird if we didn't run our own community. And we actually have, we, yeah. we have more. We have some private ones as well that we run for Mighty hosts. So that's the weekly calendar. It might be a live stream. It might be just a question of the week that then it ladders up into the monthly theme. It's all designed to work together. The last piece is daily polls and questions. Polls and questions are the most popular, most engaging form of getting people to contribute. And we have four, we have questions and multiple choice polls and hot and cold polls and percentage polls as well. And because of the way they're set up, Members are meeting and building relationships with each other. It's happening in the comments. So if you think about it, we've got the year in the life strategy, monthly themes for novelty, a weekly calendar to build a habit. So again, it's not a lot. I don't urge people do about two things a week. And then you can set up daily polls and questions in advance, schedule them out. We've got a whole guide slash a thousand questions plus a variety of other ways that we're automating it or automating questions and polls. And that is how your members are connecting to each other. So those five simple things, why are we here? 80% of it. What is the progress? That's the year in the life. How do we introduce novelty? So it's changing and feeling dynamic. How are we building a habit? And how are we connecting members to each other? That's how you set up a community that runs itself. The five agreements are just the right approach and mindset to come into community design. And that is try new things, stay curious. There's so much fear around perfection. I think actually one of the things that has been so challenging of the whole concept of having a personal brand is that it has to be perfect. And then you go from perfect, but then you're, you're supposed to also be authentic. But it's like, I would say it's like, oh, I'm being perfectly authentic. The two things don't actually work together. And it's a lot of pressure to be on all the time. We're not meant to be on all the time. We're meant to actually live and operate in community where there is give and take, not to be on stage all the time. So Try new things, stay curious. You want to, we call it a workshopping loop. Like, hey, I want to try something. I want to see how it, how it goes. Pretty straightforward. Strangely, we had, to, we had to articulate, I had to articulate these agreements with folks because they seemed like they were really hard. So the third agreement is reframe, reframe, reframe. So one of the fears and, and really is, is a trap in community building and community design is, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a party and no one's going to show up. And that's where the perfectionism comes. It's the sense of failure and the sense of I'm alone. So I'm trying, I'm putting myself out there. I'm trying things. And one of the things we found really constructive and really helpful is to reframe. So reframe away from, I need to be perfect 
Two, communities are incredibly forgiving. Reframe from, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a party and no one's going to show up, to communities require workshopping to make sure that you have the clearest ideal member, the clearest set of things you're going to do together, and the clearest value proposition, the results that you're going to generate. If one or all of those things are missing, that is how you work towards those things to get them right. And then it will work. It's not binary because what happens is people like show up and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to do all of this work. And then no one's going to show up and no one's engaging and no one's. And it's like, relax, this is going to work. You just need to get these pieces right. And this thing will run itself. And we've shown that across literally at this point, tens of thousands of successful communities, courses, memberships almighty. So that's reframing the from the fear to a different way of looking at the problem or looking at the challenge. The fourth one is start with a point of view. So have you ever been out to dinner with friends or like on this would happen to me in college all the time where it's like, okay, where are we going to go for dinner? I don't know. Where do you want to go? I don't have an opinion. And you're sitting there and everybody, no one has an opinion Everybody's like deferring to somebody else and you end up starving. You end up hungry. So it's really important to start with a point of view, which then leads back to try new things and then stay curious. You can adjust something, but start with a point of view. And then the last agreement is trust the process. Don't think, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know I should have an ideal member, but my community is special and therefore I'm going to make it for all people on planet Earth. And then I'm going to be really sad and think it's a failure when no one shows up because nobody knows what it's for. Instead, trust the process, start more narrow, build out your ideal member. Then you can always expand from there. Always expand. But if you start too broad at the beginning, you will not have the core set of people, the pe- again, your ideal members, the people who need your community the most right now in all caps. I love that. Thank you for walking through all that, the five pieces and the five agreements. I'm sure a lot of people are like taking notes and also going to re-listen to that because so much of this work of community building, it's so envious, like people want to do it and they want to feel like they have this vibrant community, but they don't always know how to get there. It's like anything. It's like anything, right? Like the more that we can name it, I mean, it's even like what I was telling you for starting this podcast, right? Like the more that you can name what that journey is like, what that framework is like, the easier it is because then you, like you said, trust the process, just plug and play. Yeah. I'd love to hear a little bit more just to how you think about communities as from like a personal brand standpoint for let's say like creators or founders or whatever that looks like versus companies that create communities. And there's a lot of different schools of thought on this. There's a lot of folks who think that every company needs to be a media company or every company needs to have a community. And how do you think about, because you obviously have so much data on your end too, like yeah. you know, what communities are most successful and how individuals with personal brands and companies should be thinking about building community? I think it's the wrong question. Okay. Then re- tell me what, tell me what's wrong about it and rephrase it for me. This notion that individual creators are fundamentally different than companies. So here's the thing. At the core, whether you are an individual creator or whether you are a company, you should have a community if you have a bigger purpose. It is about your members. It's not about you. 
I've heard this now also a couple of times recently, and it's really kind of a head scratcher to me. So a company can convene people, can attract people to each other. It's not about selling your stuff. It is about convening people so they can discover your stuff in the context of being a part of something bigger than themselves, having clarity around what other members they are going to meet, having that ability to build relationships with other members, following community design principles that, again, work. And so this idea that you could either only build a community if you're an individual creator or personality, or you can't build a community if you're an individual creator or personality. They're false dichotomies that are unnecessary. I come back to the simple, simple question. The thing I'm listening for as somebody who's dedicated their life to this work is what are the results and transformation that you can bring to the members of a community? And then whoever it is or whatever it is that is convening them, it doesn't matter. The clarity of the big purpose matters, not the personal brand or the company brand. It's what are you, like, what are your members going to get by being a member and contributing to the community that matters to them? And this is a huge difference of why, for example, on Mighty, the memberships that just individuals are creating with less than 30 people they're charging for an average of $48 a month or over three or $400 a year. And they don't have a personal brand. Why? Because it's not about them. Somebody is paying $48 a month for the results and transformation that they want in their lives. And this is the difference between paying for somebody's newsletter or paying for somebody's Patreon accounts and different levels in the $5 a month. You are working so much harder if it's about your quote unquote content and it's about you pushing your content out and then trying to get people to pay you. Oh, also the retention rates are off the charts across Mighty. I, again, I have scratched my head as to like why this is sort of a hard concept to make that shift around from content to community, from I'm pushing content out at you to how are my members getting results and transformation in their lives. But when you make it, it is so much easier to be successful. It is so much, e you do not need a social media following to do it effectively. Whether you are a company or whether you are an individual, or again, if you have a personal brand and you have a following, it's even easier. Great. One of the things though, that is different about creating community, again, if we think about it as, is an audience, as I talk at it, you talk it back at me and no one's talking to each other, a community is I am facilitating how you all are building relationships and getting value from both me and each other. Yeah, I love that reframe, audience versus community. I think that gets confused a lot, especially in the age of social. Just because you have followers does not mean that you've built a community of any kind, let alone a community that you own, which is a whole other conversation about ownership. And I know that obviously people log in with emails and stuff. I know we're almost at time. I do want to ask you one final question. I feel like I could keep talking your ear off about this stuff because I share a similar passion, but we've got a lot of 20 somethings listening in. What is that one piece of advice you would give them? And some of them maybe run a community, have hopes of running a community. Your advice might be completely unrelated from the work you do. But if there's one piece of advice you'd give to any 20 something, what's that advice? Well, so I'm not going to give advice. 
because if okay. I shut the conversation down, but here, here's what I would. Oh, uh, wow. I would look observe. at this. We're learning. Oh, my God. I know. Comes full circle. I know. I, but here's what I would observe. I would okay. observe that I feel incredibly fortunate that I have been at the beginning of three fundamental technology shifts in my life. Anything that exists today exists because somebody made it happen. Somebody made it happen. Someone decided to do something different. One of my friends and advisors, Chris Lockhead, says this regularly, and I I think it's so beautifully put. Somebody decided to do something different. And I think especially when you're in your 20s and especially at this moment, sometimes things can feel that they've always been this way. They haven't. And things are changing so rapidly that if something is taking energy from you or if something seems harder than it should be, first of all, I think it's going to get easier. And second, question that and really pay attention to how you're feeding your body, your mind, and your soul with connection and relationships and having that that big purpose. And again, question how the world works because it can work differently very quickly. Yeah. And like you said, there are technology shifts happening all day, every day. I mean, AI is an obvious one that's happening. Yeah. Who knows what tomorrow looks like, right? So there's always an opportunity to do it differently. Exactly. Before we before we totally wrap, I did want to tell you, I had a community on Mighty Networks for several years. We used Mighty Pro and had our own app and everything. So I am not only familiar with the need for these kinds of community tooling, but also with Mighty Networks, which oh, is really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, and hopefully you'll be back at some point as well. Yes. Yes. The company, we struggled a little bit with product market fit. It was more of a company that transitioned, but, but yeah, I appreciate you. Thanks for being here. And where can everyone learn more about like following the work that you do, um, signing up for Mighty Networks. And then if they want to buy your book, which they should, where can they find that? They can find it wherever books are sold. You make it easy. We try. We try. Thank you, Erica, for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It was so great to chat. I appreciate it. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Dear 20-something. If you enjoyed it, you can give us a follow over at Dear 20-something on Instagram or subscribe here or anywhere you get podcasts.